Hi, and welcome to She Said, She Said. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. Today I'm welcoming my good friend, Mary Beth Albright. Mary Beth is the video food editor at the Washington Post. She also wears a number of other hats as well. But today, as you can tell, if you're watching this conversation from our YouTube channel, we've actually moved from my living room into my kitchen because we're going to be talking about food. And Mary Beth's gonna give us some great tips on things to keep in our pantry, food safety, um, a number of other topics, which I think you will find really, really helpful and valuable, especially right now. Mary Beth has a tremendous background and expertise in food. She worked for the U.S. Surgeon General's office before getting her law degree, and then she worked in food law as a food lawyer before joining the Washington Post. She is a writer. She's been a food journalist. She's done a number of things, but all around this topic of food, and nutrition. So I think you'll really appreciate her perspective and also a bit of her own story related to her career evolution and really reinvention. So with that, Mary Beth, welcome to She Said, She Said. I have missed you. I'm so happy to see you. And I love that you're in your kitchen. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often. No, we did move into the kitchen, especially for you, because we are going to be talking about food. Oh. And <laughs> thank you. Your thing, your thing, as you know, I'm kind of reluctant in the kitchen a little bit. So you always pull me a bit kicking and screaming. So, and I'm very grateful. Um, I would love to talk to you a bit about what you're doing at the Washington Post with the quarantine cooking show. What is that? And tell me a little bit about how it came together and what you're trying to do with it. Well, it's funny because at The Post, because we're a news organization, we're efficient and we're scrappy and we can turn on a dime. Um, and so on, I think it was the Monday before schools closed here, I said to my executive producer, Michelle Giacconi, who is amazing, um, I said to her, you know, I have this idea that maybe we just do something that's literally just called Quarantine Cooking Show because it's not evergreen content. You know, everybody wants to make content that's evergreen that you can play in five years and it's so fun. And I was like, this is gonna be a huge deal. We're gonna be home at home for a while. I mean, I had no specific knowledge of that, but it really seemed that way. Um, and because I have a background in public health, I thought to myself, you know, this could be the pandemic that everybody's been worried about. So um, I pitched it to Michelle on a Monday and we shot our first one on Thursday. School closed on Wednesday and we shot our first one on Thursday. So what, yeah, I know. So, it, but it's nice because we can turn them around really quickly, which um, I have relatives who live in Los Angeles and who work in the film industry and the television industry, and they're really not doing anything right now. I mean, that's like shut down. So um, it's really, it's wonderful to have the resources of the post. And as I said, the efficiency and the scrappiness. And what I'm trying to do in this is, is something that I've really worked on my whole career is that, you know, food pageantry is wonderful. We all love it, right? We all love to see, you know, beautiful plates and be served and listen to chefs talking crap about other people and like that kind of thing. Like we all love it, right? But, um, but you got, you, you have to eat, right. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't eat a page in a book and you can't eat the television. Yeah. I have tried, I've licked it, but it doesn't work. Um, 
And so what I really have wanted to do for my entire career in food is do things that are authentic, that I actually do, um, that I make up at home, and that are not, I mean, I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a pretty low commitment cook. Do you know what I mean? Like I have not made a sourdough starter. And if you have, and if you're making your own bread, amazing, fantastic, do you. Um, but I think there are a lot of people who are underserved by, um, by the food media because it's not, it's not real cooking. It's not what people do on a day-to-day -day basis. And we've lost the art of that. Yeah, yeah. Let's give me a few examples. I know we're going to send uh, folks and we're going to include the link to the quarantine cooking uh, show uh, in the show notes for this episode, of course. Um, but give us a few examples of some of the things that you're talking about, some of the tricks that you're sharing. These are generally fairly short videos, so a person can watch them in you know, 15 minutes or less, right? Yeah, the videos are about five minutes. Five sometimes minutes. they're a little less, sometimes they're a little more, but it's very like, and it's very step-by-step. And I can give you an example because we just finished filming chicken eggplant parmesan. I don't know wow. if it's going to look good or not. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's fantastic. It's, and so one of the tricks that I use with this is something, you know, that I don't know that I've, I don't see a lot of microwaves on food shows, right? But <laughs> one of the great ways to cook eggplant, like sometimes you're looking at an eggplant and you're like, I don't know what to do with you. Because if I chop you up and I cook you in oil, it's going to soak it up and it's going to become soggy and it's going to be terrible for me. And it's only going to taste like the oil. And so, you know, you just don't even buy the eggplant, right? One of my favorite ways to cook eggplant is just to take it and stick a fork into it, you know, five or six times like you would a baked potato, put it in a, a microwave safe dish, cover it with plastic wrap, and then just microwave it for five minutes. And when it comes out, the skin peels right off. You'll see the water at the bottom of um, the bowl. So a lot of the water comes out, but the flesh is really creamy. And you could put that on a piece of bread with some cheese and tomato sauce, and there's your eggplant farm. You know, like that's very easy. I did a little bit more with it in this, um, but you know, it's like little tricks like that that really make cooking to me more pleasurable. Yeah, absolutely. So talk a little bit about, because I do not have an eggplant on hand and I'm not sure I could get an eggplant. Maybe I can't, maybe I can't, who knows? And people yeah. listening wherever they are, the food availability or the availability of particular items yes. is a bit of a question mark, right? Absolutely. So, so talk about, I know some of the, the shows that you've done have been based on what items that you're more likely to have in your pantry or in your freezer. Talk a little bit about some of your go-tos. What are the things that we must have? And especially as we think about, you know, heaven forbid, this is going to last a few more weeks maybe longer, you know, we, we don't know what the yes. answer to that is. So what should we have on hand and what should we do with it? Um, a couple of things. First of all, I always give ideas for substitutions. If you don't have something, you know, if you don't have an egg or if you don't have milk or if you don't, I did a um, pasta carbonara and I was like, look, if you don't have an egg, just use a little cream. You'll make a Parmesan cream sauce. It'll be amazing. Um, when I bring up Parmesan, I'm making a lot of it with Parmesan because honestly, the harder the cheese, the longer it lasts. Mm. And Parmesan cheese has been around since the Middle Ages, before, well before refrigeration. And um, you know, it, it, if, if you have a good hard cheese that can add a little bit of something, right? I wouldn't buy any soft cheeses right now because you just don't know. 
um, how long they're going to be in the fridge or whether, you know, you don't want to have to like eat cheese really quickly. And when it starts to get a little green around the edges, you can just shave that off, right? Off. Yeah, absolutely. At the, you know, don't eat it. Yeah. I mean, you just don't eat those parts, but ultimately what's in the middle is still okay, right? It totally. Yes, it's fine. Um, and, but some of the things, the pantry items, I did a video about the 10 pantry items you should have. Um, one of them, my favorite is canned whole tomatoes because you can do really so much with them. Like obviously pasta sauce and that kind of thing. But if you roast them, they turn um, sweet and caramelized and you can use those to wake up and brighten up a chili. You can use those to brighten up a soup. You can just, I just eat them with pieces of roast garlic and, and Parmesan cheese as a little snack. Sometimes my son and I sit outside on the porch and just wave to people as they walk their dogs, you know, like that's our sort of afternoon snack so that we don't feel like the entire day is just one long continuum, you know? Um, frozen berries, I think, are a great thing to have. I made, I did a video with a frozen berry crisp or really any kind of frozen fruit, um, because you can make a crisp with almost any fruit. Like if you, if I made one with frozen mango once, because that's all I could find. Um, uh, so any kind of frozen fruit and vegetable. Um, nuts and nut butters are fantastic because they last for a really long time. You can even put nuts in the freezer. And for one of my videos, um, I didn't have breadcrumbs, so I made nut crumbs. And we just grind up some nuts in a grinder, coffee grinder, and they act as breadcrumbs. And so if you're either gluten-free or you don't want, you don't want the bread or anything, uh, so, those are, so those are really good to have on hand. Um, salsa, because salsa can also be something that you add, sorry, salsa, because salsa can be something that you add to a lot of different things um, to make them better. And, you know, in addition to beans, rice, pasta, like the things that are obvious, mm -hmm. but I really try to get, um, oh, and honey, honey is to me very important. Cause if you don't, if you have one sweetener in the house, if like you can't find sugar or whatever, I mean, you can use honey for almost anything. Um, so yeah, those are just some of the items. Yeah. I love that. We're going to include a list with the show notes right. and maybe put it in the newsletter this week. Right. Well, with just some tips. I mean, at this point, people have been going through this quarantine for several weeks, but I think it's nice to just kind of have a refresher on the things you want to continue to keep on hand yeah. just in case, you know, since we don't know how long we're going to be here. So Mary Beth, how about some of your favorite go-to recipes when you just are feeling Ugh, depleted and food you need is a nice salve to just make you feel better, but you need something that's easy. What's your, what are a couple of your go-tos that would be good for people to have? Okay. So number one go-to is the frozen fruit crisp. I love that because it, it's, it's fruit. You don't put any sugar into the fruit, right? You just pour, put a lemon over the fruit. And then the topping is basically an oatmeal cookie, but I make it only with whole grains and honey. So there's no refined, refined sugar, uh, no refined flour. And so it, it's real, and it, it, like you, you make it with your fingers. Mm -hmm. You don't need a knife, you don't need a mixer. You can have a kid do it because it's like just soft and butter and you just mix it together, right? And it is freaking delicious. And it just, it makes the house smell incredible because right now it's nice to, it's even when you go outside for a walk to get fresh air, it's nice to walk back into your house. And if you haven't cleaned it in a while, <laughs> now like something good, right? Like food, like something good is happening in your house. <clears throat> so I do love that. When I make pasta, I usually do 
um, it, you know, one of my best tips always is save some of your pasta water because, you know, you can do that with um, like a Parmesan, like just put, put a little bit of water into the Parmesan because the pasta water is both seasoned because you're salting your pasta water and it's starchy because all the starch from the pasta is leaked out into the water. And so it gives you a great mouthfeel to just like any kind of little sauce that you're putting together. Like I've done tahini, which is a sesame paste, right? It's like ground sesame. And you can keep that on hand in a jar, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's another great pantry item to have. It, it, to me, it falls under like butter, nut butters because it's a seed, but it's still like, it, it sort of, look. it looks exactly like peanut butter in a jar. Um, so I'll just do some tahini and avocado and some pasta water and mash that up with a fork and maybe put some lemon zest in it. And that's a great, I mean, so I, that's a great dinner. Yeah. Um, I also, if you know how to make a steak at home, I always recommend ribeye is the best cut to make at home because making a filet, it's, it's like a little bit harder because you really don't over, you want to overcook it. And with something like flank steak, you have to slice it really thinly. And I don't have the patience for that right now. Um, so I make a lot of ribeye steak. If you don't know how to make a steak, we have a video about that. And it's, it really is super easy. I mean, the, most, the thing you really need is just a meat thermometer, which most people have kicking around in a junk drawer somewhere. So Yeah, and um, because the weather's getting nicer, if you are fortunate enough to live somewhere where you can have a grill, either on a patio or on a porch or your balcony, um, it's a great alternative to getting the cooking part out of your kitchen. So definitely, definitely getting outside. So, so let's talk a little bit about pasta. Um, pasta is a good go-to. It's an easy thing to make. But if you're somebody who has a gluten sensitivity, can yeah. you literally substitute any of these other uh, sort of whole grain pasta? Like, like, oh, okay. Sorry. I didn't know if you were yeah. talking about like lentil pasta or yeah. pasta or black bean pasta. Yeah, absolutely. There's just, but there's like a, such a wide variety of options. When and how do you know like which ones are good substitutions? Like what's kind of your rule of thumb? I have one that I think it's chickpea pasta, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty good, but it gets soft faster than yes. normal pasta. So you don't cook it as long, but it seems to taste pretty similar. But how, yeah. what's your sort of guideline for using that kind of stuff? Um, a couple of things. Number one, I mean, the good thing about it is that it's both, like if you use regular semolina or white flour pasta, um, it's a starch. That's what it is. If you use something like a chickpea pasta or black bean pasta, it's a starch and a protein. So that's sort of good that you're getting both of those things. I mean, my rule of thumb is if you like it, you can use it, right? Because I would absolutely make, yeah, and different brands, are of different quality too. Like some of them you eat and you're like, oh my gosh, a witch made this, you know? But some of them you eat and you're like, wow, this is actually not a bad substitute. Right. Um, and so like there's, there's a specific, I don't even know what kind it is. I can look in my uh, pantry, but I do keep a black bean pasta uh, on hand for when I want to feel like I'm having a protein and a starch together at dinner, right? If I'm not like, oh, and I want meatballs. And I, it's just like, ah, I get all these together and it's good. Um, so I'd say try different things out and make sure that you're like also looking for different shapes of pasta because sometimes if you're, if you, if it's like a black bean spaghetti and you're like, eh, I don't really like that, they might make a penne that you might love, you know, that doesn't feel as mushy or sticking together or something like that. So I would definitely go, they don't make as many shapes of black bean pasta as they do of, you know, white flour or semolina pasta, 
but um, but but they will vary, and they'll vary in. And I think it's a lot of it is just a texture thing, as you're talking about. Yeah, and beets a great al dente pasta. And if you feel like you can't get that with a black bean spaghetti or a chickpea spaghetti, you might be able to get it with a different shape. Yeah, no, that's really that's really good advice. So I'd love to pivot a bit and take advantage of your incredible knowledge. You know, you came from a background in public health. Yeah, studied food safety. Um, you've thought about potentially this notion of a pandemic and what that might mean. Talk a little bit about how people should be thinking about the safety of our food source. What should people know? What, how should they be treating fruits and vegetables when they bring them home from the market? Give us your best. So when this all first started, there was a study in the New England Journal of Medicine that showed that there were traces of, coronav of coronavirus, the novel coronavirus, um, there could be, it could, traces could be found on cardboard, pl plastic or steel for differing amounts of times, but it was between 24 hours and three days that the virus um, could be detected. And this caused people to want to leave their groceries outside for three days or sanitize their cans or wash their vegetables in soap and water. Um, what we know about the what we know about the novel coronavirus is that it's a respiratory illness, and though it is mainly transferred through um, droplets, through air droplets, and so it is not efficiently. First of all, there's been no case that has ever been traced to food or packaging, and they're trying to trace these cases pretty well, right? Like, who, how, how do you go back to it? Do you think they would know? I mean, do you have confidence that we really know? Um, no, well, that's why I'm saying this is what we know about about coronaviruses generally mm -hmm. is that they're mainly spread through droplets, right? Like the coronaviruses that we've seen before, um, and and any respiratory illness is mainly spread through droplets. So the answer is, of course, no. We don't know. Nobody knows. And it, and it's and that's one of the reasons that what I feel like, and I'm immunocompromised, um, which a lot of people don't know. Um, and I don't sanitize my groceries or anything like that. Um, what we do need to do is, and we're, we haven't had a lot of experience of, of this in first world countries, particularly in America, I think we've got to figure out how to measure and mitigate risk mm -hmm. and how to weigh things. Like, what, like in, in America, we're not necessarily really good at choosing this or that. We want both, right? which you know, is one of the wonderful things that uh, has, has caused our country to flourish. But it's also you know, the, the figuring out what we do know, right? Because there are some things we do know and making educated guesses based on that about what we need to devote our time to. So for example, I do not leave my groceries outside for three days or packages or anything like that. I don't disinfect things any differently um, it, it, I'm sorry, I don't disinfect food or packaging any differently, but you've got to remember that like, you can still get really sick from cross-contamination of foods. You need to disinfect like cooking surfaces, surfaces that you use in your house all the time, um, social distancing, obviously, and wearing face coverings. And when you go to the store or the pharmacy or wherever you have to go, I mean, it's really awkward to stand really far back from somebody and wait for them to get out of the grocery aisle 
so that you can then go buy them with a six foot distance. I mean, it's really awkward and we're not used to it. And we're not a country that is used to masks or face coverings. Right. And so I think to me, I mean, I'm sorry, this is a long answer to your short question, but I think the thing we need to learn is how to sort through information, figure out what's true, and then base our risk upon that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm doing. And this is something that I studied, you know, I studied um, lots of public health ethics and food safety when I was in law school. Um, And, you know, the professor back in law school, I actually still have my notes and I look back over them and he said, you know, we're overdue for a pandemic. The world has not seen a pandemic in almost a century. We live in a global world. I mean, everybody's mixing in ways that we never did a hundred years ago. And so, you know, there are a lot of people who have been thinking about risk assessment for a long period of time. You know, I was thinking <laughs> as you were answering my question, for you, as you think about the best sources of information right now, because I do think this is a very difficult thing for people to sort through. There's a ton of information, good, bad, and otherwise, that's available to people. So what's your best advice as it relates to food and food safety? What are your best resources? What can you recommend for people? I go to the CDC all the time, and um, I, <laughs> I, when I worked for C. Everett Coop, who was um, Surgeon General in the 1980s, I worked for him in the 1990s, and I worked with Anthony Fauci a lot, um, oh, wow. because they were, well, they were really good friends, and he was, Fauci was actually Dr. Coop's personal physician um, from NIH, yeah, back um, when he was being confirmed um, in the early 80s, and it's funny, because in Dr. Coop's memoir, which was written decades ago, he says, when I was talking to Anthony Fauci, Anthony Fauci said, boy, I hope you get confirmed by the Senate and they don't politicize health because I want to do what you're doing 40 years from now. And if I can't do that and talk about real science, I need to get out of the government. And it's in his memoir. It it is amazing. I tweeted it like a month ago. I don't even remember uh, that. That was relevant. I don't. Yeah. Remember. Yeah. No. It, it's 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 completely relevant, and it's a great it's a great it's a great data point. But I had asked you um, what your you said the CDC was your go to yes. resource yes. for information. Sort of you know other places where people should be going, what they should avoid, and what they should be looking for as it relates to information about food safety. Yeah. So I I I know we're talking. I, I recommend the CDC, right? And if you go to the CDC's website and the FDA's website, you will see what I really appreciate about it is that they have it in a timeline. So they say, this is what we said on March 27th. This is what we said on March 28th. This is what we said on April 3rd. So you can see that there's a continuity there right? Um, so that you're not thinking to yourself like, well, did that change? You can actually go back and look for yourself um, and see all of the statements that they have made about what they know about about this coronavirus. Um, so that's why those are the places that I really go. Yeah. I mean, and those are the only places that I go. I mean, I certainly, I'm on the Washington Post <laughs> website all the time and looking at our reporting. Um, and, and I feel as if the, those couple of sources is really where I'm getting my information from. I mean, not to plug my company, but um, there are people who are doing, I'm on a nine o'clock phone call every morning to talk about the news and what we're covering that day and that kind of thing. And what people are doing and pursuing is extraordinary in any time. But right now, like the major newspapers are doing incredible reporting on coronavirus. And it's, it's, um, 
it's something that makes me really happy, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're sort of alluding to some of the other elements of your job. You have the um, food video editor piece of your job, but that's just one piece. You're also interviewing influencers in the food space, the movers and shakers. You're looking at food safety. You're doing a lot of other things. Talk a little bit about the other elements of your job and how it all comes together. Well, it's interesting because um, what the Independent Restaurant Association together, it's, it, the Independent Restaurant Association today is doing a phone call with a lot of people across the country who own restaurants, right? Oh. And like, but who own small restaurants, like not big corporate restaurants. There's nothing wrong with them, but it's like how, what's, what's going to happen in the restaurant industry um, after this is whatever over is, after this is over, right? Um, and, you know, there, there are some estimates that 75% of restaurants will not reopen after this is, after this is whatever over is, right? Um, and so that is a huge part of the economy that might be just gone. And it's a huge part of the economy that employs people who um, are extraordinary in what they do, but may not have a lot of translatable skills right. um, to other places. And so a lot of the, uh, the raise in unemployment you see right now is that. It's just restaurants shutting down, you know, or clo closing temporarily, which might not be temporarily. So we're doing a lot of that. Um, there's coverage of, there are some major chefs who are, who, who tried to collect insurance um, because of the, the pandemic um, and are not, and were turned down by their insurance companies. So they're trying to, so they're suing the insurance companies. So that's a really interesting story. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever, whatever opinion you have of it. Yeah. Um, and so there, there's, there's a lot going on. There's also like the food resources that are, are available for people. Um, all the kids who had, you know, free school breakfast, free school lunch, who don't have those anymore we need to feed people. Um, and so where do those kids go? The, the number of people who are going to food pantries has increased, not yet exponentially, but like by almost 100%. Um, so there's a lot of food insecurity out there. And that is an immediate problem, but it's also a long-term problem because once you become in any way food insecure, that food insecurity can become a trigger for you and it can cause it can cause all kinds of eating disorders, yeah. right? And then that becomes a larger public health problem. And so, I mean, it's a it's a it's food is so fundamental to everything we do every single day, um, and I think we're all remembering that now. And um, you know, watching the food supply. And I don't I don't I don't believe there's any problem with the food supply right now. And I've looked at this. Um, I think that we don't know what's coming a year or two from now, right? Because what's going to happen with the people who, the crops that need to be planted now and what's like, I think there's a ripple effect that might happen, but I'm not worried about it in an immediate sense. Yeah. I mean, there is so much to be, um, so much of this is incredibly unsettling. We don't have answers. We don't know for sure. We don't know how all of these various things that you've just outlined will play out. It's really, really disconcerting. At the same time, there are so many people that are doing incredible work and stepping up. There are restaurants that are managing to keep their doors open 
who are doing amazing things. And I know you guys have been covering those stories as well. Maybe talk a little bit about some of the just incredible, inspiring things that you're seeing in the, in yeah. the food world happening right now. Well, I mean, a few things. First of all, Jose Andres opened World Central Kitchen in National Stadium because there's no baseball, which might be the worst thing that's ever happened to my child. I know. I know. I'm sorry. But, but no, but you know what we're going to do starting on May 24th? We're going we're gonna to relive the Nationals climb to the World Series because oh. that's when they turned it around. So we're going to watch the games again starting you know, May 24th from 2019. We're going to start watching it in 2020. So but we're not going to do it until like, the season started picking up, right? I'm um, gonna connect you with someone in my house who would really yeah. <laughs> perfect. Um, but I so their World Central Kitchen, which is um, you know there was some there was some chatter last year about Jose Andres being nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. It didn't happen last year. I it, I, I think it's gonna happen. If it's not the Nobel, it's gonna be sainthood, right? Yeah. But um, so he is. He's feeding people. Anybody who, anybody who shows up gets a plate of hot food, you know, and it doesn't matter what you look like or where you're from or whatever. The other thing I'm really, I'm really impressed by is restaurants that are, that are pivoting. So, and I'll bring up Jose Andres again, um, two of his restaurants, quick, uh, fast, casual restaurants, one of them is Beefsteak, which is like a vegetable forward restaurant. They're, they're selling their ingredients. So like if you can't find fresh broccoli or you can't get an Instacart plot or whatever, they will, you can go to their website and order for delivery or pickup already chopped, pre-chopped vegetables, which honestly is something that I would have loved from restaurants, you know, anytime in my life, like having somebody prep those vegetables and bring them to my house. Are you kidding me? Like what restaurants use? There's also Baldor which is one of the big uh, companies that serves restaurants, uh, ingredients, you know, food products, um, they're now doing direct to consumer and delivering to people's houses. So there's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of pivoting that I find really inspiring that restaurants are able to do this so quickly. Yeah. Uh, because, and you know, a lot of people who work at restaurants, that's where they eat too. Right. You know, they do like a family meal. And so, I think, um, as I said, there's so many ripple effects that people are feeling that we haven't necessarily seen or ingested yet. Um, and it's, and it, it, there are a lot of people who are stepping in to serve those needs, which is really inspiring. It really is inspiring. You and I were talking about before we started, we both have sons who are exactly the same age. They're, yeah. they're both 12 and in the sixth grade. And we were talking about this notion of grit and how going through something like this is really illustrating that in a in a much in a much more sort of direct way than they might have been exposed to before and frankly many of us are feeling that as well um, as you think about you, you were talking about these restaurants that are pivoting and people that are you know they're out of a job and may not be trained to do something else how do you think about this notion of making that pivot, um, digging deep, figuring out what really, you know, how, how do you do that in this environment? It's scary as all get out. You don't know what you're going to do. You've got to feed your family. Like, how, wh 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 what are you seeing that sort of, uh, this question's all, I'm all messed up here. No, like that's, <laughs> that's what we're all doing right now. I mean, first of all, I think it's important to remember that, like, Pivoting is something we're all going to have to do because the right. world is going to look different, right? So 
you know, reinventing or whatever you want to call it, we're all going to have to do that. I also think very strongly, look, I'm healthy and employed. That's amazing, right? And so I can't, I'm not going to pretend that I understand the experience of people who right now are not healthy or not employed, but I can say that I've had a lot of curveballs in my life and I know that character is built when you're down. Right. Character is built when you go through difficult situations. And the great thing about it is that that character is also revealed when you're not in a bad situation anymore. And you're like, oh yeah, that's, so I really feel like I'm healthy and employed, but I've had a lot of stuff happen to me up in my life. And I can empathize with people who are not in that place. And I think that the thing to remember is this is, this is, you can't, you can't be brave without being scared, right? Mm -hmm. You can't have, there's no reason to be brave if you're not scared. And we're all, we're all a little scared right now. Right. Um, all of us. And that's fine. And I really, I have conversations with my child about it too. Um, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing with, as a mother, but you know, I think that talking about what you're feeling and welcoming any feeling that comes is important. Yeah. When you think about sort of best and worst as it relates to this experience, um, we talk about this fact in this house, in the Kaplan household all the time. Yeah. So how will we, how, how will we look back on this experience, good, bad, and otherwise? From your perspective and maybe from your son's perspective, what do you think your sort of best and worst are going to look like looking back? And maybe things that said another way, maybe things that you hope you will continue to do that maybe you hadn't done before. I mean, it's a great question. You know, I look back on my calendar from February. I had to do some expenses. So I went back and I looked at my calendar from February and I was like, holy moly, this is a really busy life. Mm -hmm. And it didn't occur to me at the time that it was a really busy life. Like I know, like, oh, my son plays three spring sports, you know, and oh, you know, he's, but he's active and that's great. And, you know, then he goes to tutorial and then he, you know, all this stuff. And um, that's not my natural state. My natural state is sitting on the porch and waving to people as they walk by. <laughs> and, and I think I had forgotten that, honestly. Um, and I love doing that. And sometimes there's wine involved and sometimes there's not, you know, it depends on the night. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to translate to you know, next year when baseball's back up or when hockey is back up or lacrosse or, you know, but um, I enjoy, I mean, I obviously everybody has their moments, but I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy a peaceful life. Mm -hmm. And I'm remembering that right now. And there's lots of ways to be really productive in the world while living a peaceful life. Mm -hmm. And so I really want to uh, keep that yeah, yeah. We were having this, as I told you, we were having this conversation here, and I asked our son, Ben, what he's going to remember. And one of the things that we had done as an activity over the weekend was to clean his room, all four of us, his, his sister too. <laughs> and it's like a house in there. I should say that. It's true. Oh my God. It was such a nightmare. Because <laughs> I had been like, I just, just closed the door. <laughs> 
in any event, like we had so much fun together because we and we were joking and we were making fun of each other. And Joel taught Ben to clean the toilets, which he has apparently not ever done before, which was a huge deal. Joel <laughs> with his with his marine training, right? <laughs> Teaching our son to clean the toilets. Oh my god, a marine cleaning a toilet? That's that's intense. <laughs> Teaching another marine to get good to clean the toilet, right? Yeah. Um, so it was it was really funny. And and Ben said, you know, I really I love laughing. We were all laughing and doing something that, you know, made my room better, but it was really fun to be together and doing this. And I know it sounds sort of silly, but it was it was kind of magical. And so there are these moments that are that are, you know, superimposed with all of this stuff that you can't think too far ahead, but it's kind of incredible. So Yeah, and I love the word he used was fun. Like, remember fun? You know, like, and there's a lot of fun to be had no matter what you're doing and a lot of joy and a lot of celebration. Like today, Truman and I called it our quarantine anniversary because it's day 50 since school closed. So we're going to do something to celebrate. It's our 50th quarantine anniversary. I mean, it just, there's always something to celebrate. Yeah. Always I, I think that's, so, it's so important to look for those moments and really try to make them special because it does get pretty monotonous at times. Yeah. And Truman had a birthday when this first started. He had his 12th birthday. And so I did something called pizza sled where we invited people over and I ordered five different kinds of pizza from different places around town to see which was the best, you know, and we just put it on a sled and would, and would put the, send the sled over to other people so that we didn't have to get involved with other people. So, um, yeah, it was, so pizza sled was exciting. I, I told him for his 21st birthday, we'll do tequila sled. <laughs> and Ben's invited. <laughs> Great. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Mary Beth, I love seeing you, Zooming with you today. You are amazing. You're a tremendous resource and you're just an incredible human being. So I really appreciate you joining me today. Laura, I miss you. I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's meet up as soon as we possibly can. I would love that. I would okay. love that. I'll see you soon. Okay, bye. To learn a bit more about Mary Beth Albright, check out the show notes for this episode. I will include links to the quarantine cooking show on the Washington Post website, along with a few photos and some other things that I think you'll really enjoy. I hope that you appreciated um, and get some value from all of these great tips and suggestions. Mary Beth is a tremendous source of knowledge on the topic of food and she's just great fun. So I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Be safe and be well.